Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for Atlanta, the Olympic Trials, February 29th. Shoot, just a few weeks away. It's so exciting, and I couldn't wait to get Jennifer Hughes on the podcast. If you liked the episode with Peter Bromka, this one is very similar. Less emotional, but the same feeling. Jennifer missed getting her OTQ at CIM by just 28, 28 seconds, so darn close, and she's been hunting 245.00 for over a year now. She ran Houston last year, 2019, and just didn't run the, the, the race that she had hoped, ended up finishing 251, has been on the hunt for an OTQ ever since, ran Chicago, ran CIM, and now we are a week away from Houston. She's running that as well. She is going all out for this. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons for it. She touches on all of them. And in this case, age is a factor. She is 41 years old. And as she talks about, she feels like she really wants to make the most of this opportunity because this is a four-year cycle. So we talk about that. We talk about her. I love talking to the, the people who approach high-level running with an atypical background. And she absolutely has that as well. So let's dive into it with Jennifer Hughes. Hello, Jen, and welcome to the show. Well, hello. First of all, thank you for coming on. What an exciting, shoot, six months, maybe up to a year it's been for you as a runner. I'm just so excited to chat with you. As I mentioned in the intro that people have already heard, you know, you have been on quite a little streak here for sure. Chicago, CIM, and now you're going for it again in Houston. We're one week away from the Houston Marathon. So you ran this race last year. When you were getting ready, say say this exact date last year, you're a week out from the 2019 Houston Marathon. Did you have any idea what the following two, basically the following 12, 13 months would have in store for you? I did not. I was kind of hoping for a different outcome last year in Houston and fell short by my six-minute goal. Um, just kind of fell apart, right? You know, mile 18 just fell apart and knew once I finished that race, I would have another um, year of training. Yes, and plenty of racing. So you got the 251 last year in Houston and then set you up for, you know, your... You know, the marathon of marathons, so to speak. You know, so many of them to, to, to get that OTQ. When did qualifying for the Olympic trials and the marathon become a goal for you? Oh, boy. So I actually had the desire the last round. So what, three years ago, um, I was doing the St. George Marathon just more as a hobby. I got into it because of my mother-in-law and started running those. Um, just for the fun of it. And then one year I told my husband, I said, you know, I, I want to see how I can do in the marathon because we were running about three thirties to four hour marathons. And so one year, I think is when I was 34, I said, I'm just going to go see what I can do. And I ran a 254 with not too much training, but you know, with the, the miles behind it, and I decided, I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to try for the Olympic trial time. And so it was probably about 35 years old is when I started training for the, the trials. And I'm 41 now. 
Okay. So did, did you have hints earlier in your life um, that something like this was possible? Because obviously you're one heck of a runner. Obviously you're on the cusp of achieving a big goal. So I know you want to improve as a runner, but you're certainly a fantastic runner as is. So what, looking back now, were maybe some hints earlier in your life that you were capable of doing this? Oh, how early back do you want me to go? Because you my tell parents, me. You tell me, Jen. Okay, well, I was going to say, my parents um, put all all my siblings and I in track when we were about six, seven years old. We grew up in California. There were seven of us, seven kids. And I think that's the first sport that we were ever put in. And in my family, I was the only one that stuck running out all through um, elementary, junior high, and high school. And I just, I loved it. I loved running. I loved the feeling I had after I was done. And so I did run all through high school. And I was planning on doing college. And I had that dream of being in the Olympics ever since I was young. Um, high school came around and I just wasn't loving it like I used to. So I quit. Um, after I graduated high school, I, I did run one year at a junior college and then I just lost that desire of running. And so I um, decided not to do it anymore. And, you know, four or five years went by and I ended up being in a car accident and I shattered my legs and tore all the ligaments in my left knee. And I think being in a wheelchair for a while, um, it was about six months being in a wheelchair and then another six months of learning how to walk again. That's where my desire came back. And I realized how much I took running for granted and just a lot of things in, you know, in general for granted came through that car accident. So, man, six months in a wheelchair, six months, my goodness. Then obviously it's a long road back, not only in terms of rehabbing and, you know, recovering from all your injuries, but if you sit in a wheelchair for six months and you're just a healthy person, like you're going to have a long road back just from the atrophy that, that, that sets in with your muscles and, you know, just not being vertical. So what was it like coming back from that injury, I mean, those injuries, uh, with the idea of not only do you want to walk correctly and, and all of those things, but this newfound ambition to kind of recover the uh, the running spirit that you had lost? Well, and that's the thing is now, um, so I have a rod in my right leg. And so I do, like going through the therapy, I do um, walk a little funny. And when I run, the same thing that I, I run with my right foot turned in. And so I do get a lot of people asking if I'm okay and I'm perfectly fine. It does, you know, it does show that, um, like I said, with my right foot turning in a little, uh, I was told going through therapy that I probably wouldn't be able to do the exercises and the running like I was used to. Um, they said I'd right. probably get early. They're right. Cause you ran a lot faster. Yes. Well, yes. In high school, like I said, um, going back to high school, it's so different, but I did do the shorter stuff and like, I, I loved it. Um, and it was fun. It was fun to go fast, um, and train for that. And so, yes, when coming back, I did run really slow. Um, it was hard. It was hard to get back into it with just, you know, new, new legs pretty much. And then, all right. So what was the recovery period like after say, say you got to the point where you're able to walk again, walk normally. So from that point on, all right, so say, all right, you're healed, you can live your life. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, 
going throughout your day, walking around, and all of that is now no longer an issue. What was the buildup like to reincorporating running into your life? Um, so I started, so it was a year of being in the wheelchair and therapy, and that was about 24, 25 years old. Um, I just started running again, just, you know, three, four miles, getting back into it. Uh, my right leg was more sore than anything. Then, um, that was the most damage was to my right leg. And so it took about another year of just running, you know, 30 minutes a day, and then um, I got more into the 5Ks and the 10Ks and started to build up my speed. And that desire came back of loving the training. And so it, it probably was like a good year to two years after my accident um, or after the therapy where I got back into the, the training, but for the shorter distances. And you mentioned that your desire to do this was basically having it ripped away from your life. And all of a sudden you realize, oh man, I took this for granted. And now that I can't do it, I realize how badly I want to do it. How long did that motivation last for? And when did maybe other factors start motivating you and inspiring you to not only become a runner again, but to continue to improve? Um, I actually became a high school track coach uh, shortly after. And I think seeing the the kids race and how much effort they put into it, seeing their desire, um, strengthened my desire. And so I would run with them, you know, on their speed workouts and I'm still coaching. I, you know, it's been 11 years now that I, I do, I think seeing their desire helps feed my desire. Um, and so it's fun. It's fun to get out there and, and I feel more alive now than I did Back in my 20s, you know, I just, I feel better and healthy. And, all right, so you have this huge goal now. You run that St. George Marathon. You run it really well. And all of a sudden, it, it opens up this huge, expansive, you know, op, amount of options regarding not only what you can become as a marathoner, but, you know, your future goals and master's goals and all of these things all of a sudden pop into existence and you're able to kind of pick and choose the best way forward. With that said, you also, you know, you're, you're a mother of four daughters. So how is it in terms of measuring, or, or I shouldn't say measuring, how, is it, how does it work for you getting in all of these miles and you have these goals that you're working so hard for and goals that are time dependent, right? It's not, it's not as if like, hey, we have goals. You say, hey, I want to say break a three-hour marathon. Like that can happen at any time so to speak, whereas qualifying for the Olympic trials, you need to get this goal by a time certain. What's it like incorporating this in terms of, you know, you have so many parental responsibilities? And that is a very good point. Um, I do start my runs about 5, 5.30 every morning so I can be back in time by 7 to wake up my oldest to get her ready for school. Um so it is, it's going to bed. I go to bed probably 10 o'clock, you know, get my kids in bed. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock and up by five the next morning just to get my workouts in. Because that is one thing I did tell my husband that if my running ever gets in the way of family life, I will back off. And so um, it's been a pretty good routine of just staying disciplined that way is, like I said, for sure in bed by 10 and up by five to be home by seven. And once I'm home, 
everything else kind of shuts off with the exercise and the workout. And I do focus my time on family and work and, you know, just kind of the normal life routine. So it's worked out well, but it it has been, you know, learning to stay disciplined in that, um, in that sense. Yeah, because we have a couple of people who are regular features on this show, like Sarah Bishop and Jared Ward, to name two of them, who, you know, like you, have you know, a larger family and say, all right, how am I going to make this work with my parental responsibilities? It's not necessarily about being a mother. Obviously, fathers have, have their own parental responsibilities as well, and every family is different in that regard. And when you have this huge goal, and I can't wait to talk about 2019 and how it worked out and what's going to happen in you know, a week from now. How have your kids taken to your your quest? And you know, obviously, it's, it's a big part of your life to do this. Have they kind of rallied around it, or what's their relationship to your goals? Well, now that my kids are older, in, in a sense, my oldest is thirteen, and I have a twelve-year-old, eleven-year-old, and almost a ten-year-old. So I did have them. I had my kids really close. They are all a year and two months, a year and four months apart. And when I first started this goal, uh, I guess you could say, what, six years ago, um, they didn't know too much because they were younger and it didn't make much sense to them. But now that my oldest is 13 and they are so excited that I think I want this goal more because I see their excitement than I want it for myself, if if that makes sense. Um, For sure, I want it for myself just to prove that I can do it because I know I can do it. And I just fell short, you know, the last race, but I want, um, I want to do it for my kids because I see their excitement. And after every race, they're like, mom, you did so good. Um, and they are so excited for me that I think that's where my desire is fed as well is through my kids. All right, so you ran 251 last year in Houston, came out just short of your goal, just raced in, raced in, you know, pan out the way you'd hoped. After that race ended, what sort of determination did you, you know, personally and maybe with the help of help of your coach, decide in terms of what the calendar for 2019 would have in store for you in terms of making sure that you know, you're picking the right race and giving yourself enough time to recover and ramp up again? Well, after that one, um, we did decide, I do have a coach, um, and he lives in Ireland. And so, um, just talking to him, um, we just decided to just go for Chicago, give myself enough time to train and to build up and just to go for Chicago. And so I knew with that much time, there was no pressure of having to hurry and do something like for grandmas or something, um, and so it it gave me a confidence that, okay, I have a lot of time to build up. And um, I think that helped a lot where it just gave me time. And so, and, and we do travel a lot in our family. And so I knew in June we were going to be gone for a month. Um, and so that was another thing. I didn't want to have to train through, you know, trying to get grandma's marathon in, in the midst of traveling. And so that's why we decided Chicago. 
So what about your training this year has differed from years past? Like, did you did you end up doing any more mileage or more speed work? Or was it just kind of this similar routine that you've been working on for the past couple of years? I think hiring my coach was probably the biggest difference in my um, running career that he's made all the difference, if that makes sense. Um, and it was, it has built up more miles. I never thought, especially with my legs, because hearing from the doctor, oh, you probably won't be able to do this. I think that was in my head a little bit with putting in more miles, but I went up from 60 miles from the last round of training up to about, um, I reached 90 for the first time ever in my running career, this, this last round of training. And so, um, like I said, I've never reached 90 miles. So I think that was kind of a big difference was adding on more miles in a, in a right, healthy way. All right. So going into Chicago, how were you feeling, say, a week out from race day? Um, I my confidence was not as much there because the week prior, I um, I was feeling really low, like um, physically, just kind of like the heavy, um, low, the and my energy was not there, and I've had a problem in the past with being anemic. And, but I was taking iron pills and everything. So I didn't think it was that, but I went to the doctors to go get blood work done. And I did find out that I was anemic, even though taking iron pills, and this was two and a half weeks out. And it's, yeah, just a mix up. I was taking calcium pills and iron pills at the same time. And I learned for the first time ever that you can't take both because they counteract each other, that you have to take them at separate times. And so um, my confidence was not as much there, even though I started loading up on iron pills that last two weeks. But I went into that race um, knowing I'm going to give it all that I could. And um, like I said, I think around mile 18, 19 is where I started to crash. And so I knew knew it wasn't there this race, um, right about mile 19. But I finished very happy and excited to go on to my next race, which that has been very rare for me to do to finish a race, knowing I wasn't going to hit my mark, but excited for the next one. So what did you do? What did you do over the final six miles? Once you realized, okay, I'm not going to reach my goal. How did you, how did you finish the race? Not only physically in regards to your splits, but mentally and emotionally. You know, um, I kept repeating in my head, um, the words like, I am powerful, I can do this. I changed my mindset from a negative mindset um, to a positive. And it's amazing what that does to you to be able to finish off strong and positive. I just kept saying in my head, I can do this. You know, I'm powerful. This is amazing. And so it was just more of the the way of thinking of, instead of thinking of, um, oh my gosh, I have six more miles to go. This is going to be horrible. Cause I have been there before many races that once I crash, the negative mindset sets in. Um, so I really just kind of changed my thought process of it's okay. It's not there this time, but yeah, it's okay. And so it's just more of the positive thinking in my head. Just, yeah, I can do this. So did you go all, did you continue to run as hard as you could at that point? Or did you start dialing it back, knowing that you're going to give it another try to get to that OTQ? I I did push for the next three miles. And so until I got to about mile 22, 23, I did keep pushing. 
Um, because another thought process I did have was if I slow down, I'm going to be out here that much longer. Um, and so that kind of kept me going, but then, um, I had my coach's words in the back of my head. He did say, if this does not come together, you know, back off a little so we can use this as a training run for the next run. And so mile 23 is when I did back off just so I could use this race as a training race for CIM. Got it. So that's one, that's one, uh, that's one crazy training race. It's, it's hard to, to fly, you know, <laughs> 600 miles for a training run, but obviously I, know. I think that all the time. I'm like, Oh, the money that goes into this, but, um, <laughs> it, yes, it is fun and it is worth it. So what was your final time in Chicago? My final time in Chicago, oh, I, th- I believe that was a 2.50, like a, a high 2.50. I can't remember exact. Got it. All right. So then post-race, obviously, you, know, you guys had kind of come up with a plan B, just in case, because you did have plenty of time until February 29th. So once you'd come back to Utah after Chicago, what what was the state of your body in terms of um, being able to you know really view this view that as a training run and kind of continue your training or were you still kind of in in, in a semi post marathon recovery mode? No, when I came back from Chicago, um, I did take let's see Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off, and I was able to bounce right back into training. I didn't know how I was going to be. I was kind of afraid of not being able to bounce back, knowing that the pressure was now on. Um, but I, I was able to bounce right back, which I was pleasantly surprised. And so I got right back into training and responded really well to my workouts for the next, what was it, four or five weeks that I was able to just respond really well. And so that training cycle between Chicago and CIM went really well. I felt really, I felt really well. Yeah, and I would think that, you know, kind of fixing your iron issues must have been you know, really helpful as well if you're yes. kind of comparing to how you felt <laughs> a couple of weeks before that. It, it it did. And I really mentally, I think that's what helped me go through my workouts too, because I did. I felt really just back to normal and just on it. All right. So let's talk about CIM because, you, you know, that was your plan B. You go into CIM. This is like... The, the 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 land where OTQs come to you know come come to reside both for the men and the women we've covered it both on this podcast stream and on Rambling Runner uh, feed and so many other podcasts and articles and media have covered this so obviously that's the place you're going to get OTQ that you want to go it's set up for it they do a great job logistically so on and so forth I don't want to belabor the point if you're listening to this podcast you already know how great of a place it is to to go after an OTQ so. With that said, what was your race plan for the race? Was it simply just stay with the groups or did you and your coach come up with a separate plan uh, simply for you? We came up with um, a little bit of both. Um, he did say stay in the back of the pack of um, the the pace group because we knew there was going to be pacers for the 245 um, trial time. And I think that's great. I loved having the pacers there because I probably looked at my watch maybe three times for the first 23 miles, 24 miles. Um, And so that was great. And so I was told to stay just in the back of the pack, maybe a little bit behind, but don't 
lose the pack because that's too much to make up at that at that point. Um, so I I just kind of sat in the back, maybe just you know just a few meters behind the the whole pack, and coming across um, you know through the whole marathon, just the mental what goes on through the head. It's just it's crazy to think about because I remember at mile eight thinking, oh my goodness, I have so long to run. I'm not going to do this. But then mile 10, 11 comes around. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel great. I'm going to do this. And then another two miles goes by. Just the the back and forth of the positive and the negative and, you know, like I can and I can't. It It's crazy. Um, you just have a lot of time. Uh, let me, let me jump in there for a second. Have you, is that similar to the mental games that have gone through your head at other marathons? Or was this kind of a more unique experience? This one was more unique because I think I knew, well, I mean, I do know that I'm coming down to the last wire for this round and who knows what's going to come in the next four years. I am getting older that I, I think this is more emotional for me because of the time frame. And so this marathon was more of the mental game of, I knew that this one was important to stay on my, on my game, on the mental side. Um, and so I was, you know, kind of all over the place for the first half, especially. And then when the second half hit, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm at mile 13. I feel great. We're, we're on. Um, I think I was 15 seconds below the time that we needed to be at. And so I felt great. And that, that helped get through, you know, the next six miles still feeling really good, really on it. Mile 19 comes around and I caught up to the pack, you know, right with the the three pacers and stayed with them. I was even (laughs) smiling because I'm, and I got the emotional at mile 20, 21, I got the emotional feeling of, I am going to do this. I can't believe how good I feel. You know, just all this is excellent and it's coming together. Um, Same thing, mile 23, I still felt on and I pulled ahead of the pace group you know, by just three, four seconds, just, you know, just filling on at mile 23. And I heard the pacer, one of the pacers said, okay, we are five seconds ahead. He's like, we're going to pick it up a little to make sure that, you know, we're, we're under the 245. He's like, so let's pick it up a little. And mile 24 rolls around, same feeling. I just felt really good. And then right when mile 25 hits, my legs and my arms, everything just felt like lead. And it was just all of a sudden, my body just started to feel blah. And I, you know, in my head, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, don't do this. Don't do this. Um, The pacers caught up to me at mile 25.2. And I knew that we were still about 10, 12 seconds ahead. So I'm like, okay, I just need to stay with them. But their stride kept going. And my stride, I just could not... I was like pumping my arms. I just couldn't go. So that last mile, I lost 30 seconds, just fell apart. And that's, um, I think that's been kind of more emotionally hard for me because looking back, I kept, I keep thinking, could I have gone? And I mentally gave up, you know, so it was hard. So when you play, when you have that questioning of yourself, 
And obviously, with distance from the race, it can be hard. It can be harder to put yourself in your own shoes about how exactly you felt. And I think we've all played these games both in a positive and negative direction, right? Of times we're like, hey, I felt great during that marathon. I love marathons. Where maybe you didn't feel great at all. And, <laughs> and, and the other way around, where like now you look at it like, oh, I felt awful. And after the fact, you're, you know, you're, or as I say, in the moment you say, I feel great. And after the fact, you're like, oh, maybe I didn't. So when you have that questioning mentality of like, did I give up? Did I not give that last 1%? Do you feel like that is what happened? Because it sounds like to me, the way you tell the story is if like, there's no way that that could have happened. Just how, just, just how you described it. But you know the inner you best. Do you, do you feel like you left something on the course? No, I, I do feel like I gave it all. Um, yes. And, and even like the coaching in me, I play that in my head, like, oh, pump your arms, pump, you know, give your, move your arms faster to help your legs go. So I did everything. I ran through everything in my head. Um, I do feel that once I saw the pacers pull ahead and I wasn't able to keep up, that did emotionally and, and mentally, it did make it harder for me because I couldn't match that stride. And so that was discouraging. So I do know um, with that... There was more of a negative in my head that way, but I wasn't giving up, if that makes sense. Um, my body just really, it was mainly my legs just really felt like lead. Um, and so I do, I do know that I don't know if I had it, had it any more in me at that point, even if I could mentally push through it. Um, I don't know if physically if I, if I could give more. Now it sounds like you hit that rare moment where so few athletes hit of like the actual physical manifestation of seeing what it feels like <laughs> when you've given everything. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like this is exactly what happens when someone does give everything that they get tied up and that they're, they're pushing as hard as they can, but they're just slowing down as opposed to the other way around of slowing down and then choosing not to give everything they can. With that being said, obviously it's an emotional experience in that last mile or so. You finish at 245.28. You know, we had Peter Bromka on here a couple weeks ago, which was an emotional, you know, I had him on pretty soon after the, after the race. What have your emotions been like since the race in terms of not only at the finish line, but how you now view your finish at the race? Um, and I, I look back at uh, pictures that my husband, he was at the finish line. Um, just even pictures and videos that, oh, it's just devastating. I just remember finishing and I just broke down crying. And um, I'm not much of a crier, but I just could not stop. Like I was just sobbing. And I think just all the hard work that goes into it and knowing my kids were back um with my mother-in-law you know watching the time and uh it was just it was emotionally draining and hard and i saw another lady at the finish line and she was sobbing and i'm like are you okay and she and she was crying because she made it and so i'm like oh i didn't feel that bad for her <laughs> oh it was no but it was it was hard i was happy for her but i'm like oh i wish i was sobbing for that reason 
So knowing that, Jen, how have you over the past you know month or so kind of come to grips with what happened at CIM and tried to move forward to go into Houston with a positive mindset? So when I finished uh, the marathon and after all the emotions, the, the next few days was a little hard. Um, it was good to have a three-day break recovery. I was just mentally and physically tired as well from doing um, Chicago, bouncing back and doing uh, CIM, hoping that would be the last one for a little bit before the trials. And um, emotionally just coming back, I thought, oh, great, can I do this again? And I went back and forth whether I was I was going to do Houston in that matter of three, four days. But I figured um, after, yeah, after the third or fourth day of taking a break, I would regret it if I didn't go out and try one more time, even with, you know, the tiredness of the legs, you know, mentally, emotionally as well. So I became excited again within that week. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get back into training. I'm going to do this. I have four weeks of hard work again, and then I get one week of taper. I can do this. Um, but my first speed workout back, it was really, really rough. I think more emotions came out than what I realized I had bottled up, if that makes sense. Um, and so that was a tough workout. But once I got back from my hard workout, I realized I can do this. I can put up, you know, four or five more weeks of training. So that's kind of where I left off with starting up my training and just with the emotions. But it was a roller coaster. So how has your training looked since that time uh, in comparison to, say, like, peak training for Chicago in regards to not only mileage, but like the, the severity or extent of your, your hard workout days? Well, it actually didn't change too much. Um, my coach, he is so good at, you know, building my confidence and also making sure that I peak again at the right time that I still have had intense workouts. For example, just this last week, or I guess just this Tuesday, I had you know, my warm up and a cool down and it was four by three miles at, um, a 605 pace, I believe. Yeah. 605 with an 800 recovery. And at that recovery pace was a seven minute recovery pace. And so for 12 miles, we're still going hard, but I felt really, really good. Um, going into it, I didn't think I was going to do well, but after I finished, I'm like, wow, that was a really good confidence booster. And I felt great after doing that run. So the, the workouts are still just as intense. I haven't reached 20 mile, a uh, 20 miler this time around. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I have, I went up to 19 as my high. And so that has been different from training for Chicago and for CIM as I hit more 20 milers. But this time I got up to 19. All right. So how are you traveling down to Houston? Are you going to be bringing, uh, bringing the kids in tow and making it a family affair, or is this going to be a solo venture? I'm hoping my kids will be in tow for the February race, for the trials. Um, this time around, my, my mother-in-law is actually going to come with me. She is, you know, just a huge fan and a big supporter. And so she actually wanted to come because my husband couldn't get work off again, that, um, she, yeah, she's going to come down with me. Jen, 
Best of luck to you. I'm so excited for you. This is such a, an exciting thing. And yeah, I can't wait to see it in person. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Jen, best of luck to you this coming weekend. I can't wait to be down in Houston as well. If you don't already know, we got two live shows coming up. Uh, Friday at 4 p.m. with Molly Huddle and Alexi Pappas. Saturday at 10 a.m. with Jared Ward. These are both at the Expo down in Houston. And talk about, I mean, shoot, you're not going to want to come to listen to me. That's for sure. But these three people are unbelievable. Also, I'm going to be doing a casual meetup on Friday night, 6.30 p.m. after the live show at the 8th Wonder Brewery Tap Room, which is directly across the street from the Expo. Again, there's no registration. It's just, hey, I'm going to be over there. If you're going to be in Houston, I'd love to see you. I'm going to be over there either way. So <laughs> if you're looking for something to do Friday night, come on over to the 8th Wonder Brewery Tap Room. Uh, big up to Marie Maldonado, who is, uh, you know, at this point, you know, a good friend of mine who kind of helped me set up where to be, where to go in Houston. Marie, thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.